0: Galatians 6, and then we'll just read. May I ask all to stand for just the reading of these two verses? And let's read these two verses out loud together. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest Thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to preach. And Lord, You know that I am an unworthy vessel, and I'm a man of of many faults, but I I am humbled that You were still willing to use me. And I pray that You would speak through me, uh, through this message that, that You delivered on my heart. And I pray that You would help me deliver in love as well, and to just... I uh, do it in, in your power, not mine. I pray this all in your name, Amen. Amen. You may now take your seats. Now, for the students that were in my class, Romans and Galatians, we just finished um, Galatians. They just finished their midterm on the on the book, and they understand that this was one of the final uh, statements, the closing statements that Paul gave to the churches of Galatia. As we all know, the churches in Galatia were led astray by a group of Jewish Christians called the Judaizers. And these were men who were basically trying to combine Christianity and Orthodox Judaism into one religion. They were basically telling the Gentile believers, those non-Jews, that they needed to be circumcised and that they needed to follow the Mosaic Law in order to perfect their salvation. And we understand, all of us understand that salvation is Saved by grace through faith, you don't have to add anything to that. But the Judaizers were adding and making the Gentiles follow the whole law. We know that justification isn't brought about by any outward work, and that justification comes from God. It is not an act that we make. It is not a process. It is an act—a one-time act—when once we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and once we accept Christ. Our eternal destiny is changed. But no, the Judaizers, they wanted to please the Orthodox Jews. So they attempted to put this yoke of bondage on the Gentile believers. On these believers who were just so excited and zealous to serve God. These Judaizers wanted to wreck the party and put this yoke of bondage again on the Gentiles. The Judaizers knew the truth. They knew that the salvation was, from, was by believing on Jesus, but they compromised in order to gain the approval of their national brethren to avoid persecution. And I say, I say all this to point out the fact that the Judaizers were far from what Paul was describing in Galatians 6, 1-2. In the two verses we read, Paul described someone who was a burden-bearer. The Judaizers weren't burden-bearers. They were burden-givers. They were not interested in lightening the load of other Christians. They were interested in making other Christians' lives harder. As children of God's family, we are called to be burden-bearers. A burden is something that we carry that causes us hardship, anxiety, grief, sorrow. A burden is rarely used in a positive light. It's always something negative that's pressing down on an individual. A burden in our, it is something that we have in our lives that is figuratively hard to carry. It's not a physical burden most times, but it is something that we carry inwardly that is pressing us down. That is restricting us from really living life. As I mentioned in, in Romans and Galatians class the other, other week, every single one of us, every Christian that we see when we are on Sunday morning congregation, all of those Christians there carry a burden of some sort. And it's hard not to have a burden, unless you were a child, like maybe Titus, maybe Titus doesn't have any burdens as of now, which is good. But the majority of adult Christians, we all carry a burden of some sort. And in fact, the majority of us are not burdened by one thing only. We're burdened by multiple things. These are just ten that I've come up with, ten different burdens that people may have. And the list can go on for much longer, but these are the ten that I first thought of. Number one, a trial or tribulation that you are currently facing. Number two, physical infirmity or sickness. Now, a lot of times, those who have... a who are great Christians, who who are inwardly, they're great Christians, uh, God decides to give them a physical infirmity, or or a a physical handicap that is a burden on them. I think of my sister Hannah. She's very hardworking and she's very giving. But the burden that she has to carry is different from mine. She has a physical weakness that I don't have. That is sometimes I I have a hard time relating with as well. A third burden that we carry, a secret sin. That you can't gain a vict- cannot gain victory over. Number four, overwhelming negative emotions such as de- depression, the feeling of inadequacy or loneliness. Those negative emotions can really weigh on someone. Number five, and I hope this is something that we also carry, unsaved loved ones that we are thinking of, that we are trying to reach. Unsaved friends, family members that we are trying to actively witness to but they just are not rece- receiving the gospel. And we carry that burden, on, burden with us. Number six, more relevant than ever, the state of the world and society. And you must have seen the news on Russia. And you've you already seen that they are ready to mount an invasion on Ukraine. And this is not just going to be a battle between these two countries. Again, the whole world is going to be involved. And some people are seeing the state of the world, and it's a heavy burden on them. I've heard people saying there's no point in in, in trying to live life anymore or trying to be successful because World War III is on us. Once World War III starts, there's no point in doing all of this. Everything will come crumbling down, and it is a burden that they carry. The next one, uncertainty about your future. It's not necessarily about the state of the world, but sometimes people are having trouble with where they'll go for college or what they'll do for the rest of their life, and that's a burden they carry. Financial struggles broken or dying relationships with people dear to you, past events or or mistakes that have left a scar on your heart. All I'm saying is that everyone carries a burden of some sort. And it will be ignorant for us to assume that the people in the crowd are just living life completely burden-free. Maybe as I listed those ten out, you were able to relate to one, two, three, four of those burdens. Now why is this relevant for us to know? Why did Paul make this one of the last things that he told the Galatians? And it's because burdens can get so heavy enough so that it can make a good Christian man, a good Christian woman quit out of the Christian race. I wish the best was People just quitting out of the Christian race, but we understand that people have also taken their, their life because the burdens have gotten so heavy on them and they felt like they were crushed by burdens. They ended up taking their own life. One person said that the added strength and encouragement of others is often the difference between pressing on and giving up. We are the body of Christ, right? And if one member of that body, one part of that body is injured or is, is, not, doing, uh, is not doing well, the rest of the body has to aid it. If the, if the whole body is to function properly, we have to aid those who are suffering, those who have heavy burdens. One person physically can only carry so much. The most advanced and strongest power lifters in the world can carry about 700 to 800 pounds. That's the average of an, of an advanced power lifter. The very strongest in the world, the top 10 strongest people in the world can lift just shy over a 1,000 pounds. The strongest, in fact, is a man named Thor. I mean, with a name like that, you have to be somewhat st- strong. Six foot nine, Icelandic, probably came from the Vikings. <laughs> but he, was, uh, he has the world record for most weight deadlifted, which with uh, with 1,100 pounds, and he did it quite easily too. Now that feet, that human feet is impressive, and I agree, I I think that it will not be beaten anytime soon. But regarding physical strength, 1,100 pounds in relation to the overall world, it's not really that much. An adult male grizzly bear, for example, is about 1,200 pounds. You you, you wouldn't think they were 1,200 pounds because they're so fluffy and cute. Well, I don't know. Some people wouldn't find them cute. But they look nice looking, but they're 1,200 pounds. Even the strongest man in the world wouldn't be able to lift it. Looking further into nature, the tongue of a blue whale, just the tongue, is about 5,500 pounds. An adult, this one surprised me, but an adult male hippo can weigh up to 9,000 pounds. Those things. I mean, like, it looks... I know it looks heavy, but 9,000 pounds. An elephant can weigh up to 13,000 pounds. And an entire blue whale, tongue and all, is about 230,000 pounds. And that is just based on the dead whales that have been found on beaches. There are larger whales out there. The world's strongest man could barely lift 1,100 pounds. In the grand scheme of things, how strong is he really? The human body isn't designed to be like this incredibly powerful being. We're incredibly finite, actually. We are not meant to carry heavy loads for long periods of time without getting injured, without hurting ourselves. And I also believe that we are also not meant to carry heavy burdens, figurative burdens, just by our lonesome for long periods of time because eventually those figurative burdens will crush your spirit because a lot of times our spirit is more fragile than our physical body we can take more physical beating than we can emotional or mental beating some people might be more mentally strong than others but the, 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 end, the end of the case is we all have limits to how much we can take Yes, we, we can't forget one important truth. And it's in 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That is central to this. We must ultimately cast all of our burdens to Jesus. He, is, he can lighten our load like nobody can. But as Christians, you could say that we are, we are we're Christ followers. We are doing the same thing as, as Jesus. We are called to bear the burdens of others in the capacity that we can. We can't bear the burdens of another person like Jesus, but we can maybe bear one or two. We can be many burden bearers. And this morning, I'd like to suggest three key principles to help us become better at this area. And number one is fixing our mentality. Fixing is our mentality. And this point is key. Paul did not, Paul made sure not to finish his letter without. I, without forgetting to include this fact read it with me again in, verse, in chapter 6 verse 1 if a man be overtaken in a fault ye which are spiritual by the way is referring to every believer so this isn't just a responsibility of the pastor this is a responsibility of all believers ye which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of what is that word Restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. The spirit of meekness or or gentleness is very important, especially when dealing with people who are already, you could say, on edge. A lot of people are on edge from all of the burdens that are weighing down on them. All All they need is another person to just kind of shove them over and they'll come tumbling down. Because they're already on edge. They can already barely stand as it is. But sometimes when we deliver correction that might be needed, but we deliver in a wrong way, we topple that person down. The edge. The spirit of gentleness and meekness. When someone is already having a tough time, when someone is already being crushed by burdens that we don't even know about, The last thing they need is a fellow brother aggressively hammering away at the problem they're struggling with, that they know they're struggling with. I can turn it to you you all. If you were having a terrible day, you know, you got out of bed and everything is going wrong, everything is just falling apart, you're driving to work, people are cutting you off, you almost get into an accident, and you you walk into the building, you trip on the floor, you spill your coffee on your suit, on a suit that you just bought everything is going horribly, how would you feel if another person went out of their way to come yell at you and start just lecturing you? I don't think you would perceive that well. I don't think you would hear anything that he said. There is a way in which we can communicate truth gently or in a meek manner. Many times, it's true, the message that we are trying to communicate is good. It's a necessary message. The message is good, but the way we deliver it is sometimes inappropriate. The person that is being corrected must see that the motive of the person correcting is love. They must see that they are actually doing it because they love you. Now, a very recent illustration on this. Tadala. So this morning, I had a small little uh, in an, in an inappropriate reaction to something, and I got unnecessarily upset, more so, and I lost my cool, you could say. And I know that in these past few weeks, I've actually been struggling with this one thing. I've, I've been losing my cool in things that shouldn't have uh, caused me to lose my, my patience. But some, it, again, it happened again today, and Tadala witnessed it, and Tadala came into my, the office. And he, he approached me not as someone who was, will, who was wanting to criticize me. He approached me not as someone who was just trying to uh, highlight my faults. But he opened up with a statement. He, he's approaching me as a friend, as a close friend. And he told me what I was doing wrong. He told me my inappropriate reaction. And I had two choices there. I could either completely be, um, comp- go, lose my cool again, or I could listen to his... His genuine advice. And because he delivered the message gently, he delivered it as a friend. I also received the correction gently. I also received it as as how a friend would receive it. If the dollar came in, you know, kicking the door down and saying of how how bad I am as as an individual, I probably would get defensive. But he didn't do that. He even knocked knocked and said, and then he started his spiel. And they listened to him. A gentle message delivered in that way will be received gently. Understand that God is so gracious to us, giving us what we don't deserve. And we have an option here to mimic Him, to mimic our Heavenly Father and to show grace to others, to give them what they don't necessarily deserve. And there are two major mistakes we make in the Department of of judging people. I one is we already I talked about it, is judging someone too harshly for their sin. And number 2 is judging an individual an individual situation too lightly. And what I mean by that is just because you have had to go through worse in life does not mean that you should belittle another person struggling with something smaller than you have. I made this mistake a lot in the past, especially during college times. Someone, like maybe a teenager, would come up to me and say that they were struggling with life because they only had six hours of sleep and they have to work 24 hours a week. Then in my mind, I would be thinking, well, at least you get six hours of sleep. I only get four. And at least you only work 24. I work 40. How come you're struggling? And I would be very insensitive to their struggles. But another person can listen to my situation and say, that's it? I work 50 hours a week. I only get three hours of sleep and I have a family to feed. What's your situation in comparison to mine? And so, realizing that that didn't feel good if someone did that to me, then why would I think it would be an appropriate reaction to do that to someone else? It never feels good to have my situation belittled, so why should I belittle another individual's situation? What may be an easy obstacle for us could be an insurmountable mountain to another individual. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, don't we? We're not all created to be one model of a robot, of a Christian robot. We all have the same strengths, we all have the same weaknesses, we all talk the same way. We are crafted individually, very uniquely. So that means that we also have different weaknesses that we have. Empathy will go a long way in developing better friendships and relationships. And showing empathy and grace, fixing our mentality of how we respond to other people's problems, Will allow us to be a better burden bearer. The second point, before I say the point, I'm gonna don't raise your hands for this question. But if I were to ask you, who here considers themselves a liar? Who here considers themselves a liar? Now, even if I asked for a raise of hands, I'm sure no one would have raised their hands. Number one, because liars will obviously not raise their hands. (laughs) They're going to continue to lie, and they won't raise their hands. And number two, I think is the main reason, the majority of us are in fact not, not habitual liars. Most of us here, or if not all of us here, we don't consciously tell lies to other people. We tend to be more honest. But there's an aspect in my Christian walk that I found myself subconsciously and even automatically lying. I try to think of what that situation may be. A situation that I find myself subconsciously and even automatically lying. And it isn't, you will find it in this one phrase that maybe you are guilty of as well. But I know I'm guilty of it in times past. I'll pray for you. Or worse, I'm praying for you. A horrible lie that we often say out loud, without any guilt, is when we tell others that we will pray for them or that we are praying for them, when in fact we could care less about them because they are not even mentioned once in our prayer closets. Why are so many Christians so guilty of saying, I'm praying for you ungenuinely, uh, unsincerely? Why are so many Christians guilty of this? And it's because of this other f- common phrase that we throw around, and that is, the least I can do is pray. The least you can do is pray. The least you can do is pray. Notice how a, a seemingly innocent statement can carry so much meaning. When people say the least I can do is pray, we start associating prayer with the least we can do, with the, very most, the most minor thing that we can do for other people. And if we treat something as minor, guess what? We also won't prioritize it. If we think that prayer is the least we can do for another individual, guess what? We won't do that. We won't prioritize that. We won't pray for them. That is the second point, is remembering to actually pray for those that we say that we are praying for. I won't belabor this point any longer because even past what, we're going to have the, another um, lecture, another sermon on prayer tonight. So we already understand the power and importance of prayer. But may I suggest that we stop thinking of prayer as the least we can do, or the most minor thing we can do for another person. Can we start treating prayer as the most important thing that we can do for other believers? Because it is, isn't it? We're we're, we're talking to God on the behalf of another person. That will do much more than really anything that we can do. It will have effects that we won't even notice. James five sixteen says, "Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed." The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I'm sure most of us here are prayer warriors in some sort of capacity. But look at your prayers. Are the majority of your prayers focused on yourself? Are they focused on your needs? Are they focused on your wishes, on your prayer requests, on your desires? Is there any room in your prayer life? Is there any part in your prayer life that is dedicated for interceding on behalf of other people? We have to remember to genuinely pray for other people. Let me tell you this right now. Saying I'm praying for you to someone and that you, you truly know that you are actually praying for them is a very satisfying thing. When you can go up to a person and say, I'm praying for you in your situation, and you know that you have actually labored in prayer for that situation, it's, it's, very satisfying, it's a very satisfying feeling, knowing that you are doing your job as a, a fellow brother or a fellow sister in Christ. Knowing, of, knowing for a fact that you are not lying through your teeth, it will give you joy. It will give you joy. And it will also aid in this third point, When you remember to pray for others genuinely, and you remember them every single morning in your prayer closets, this third one will come pretty naturally. The third point is performing practical acts of kindness. Turn with me to Acts 11. And we'll we'll read out loud together. Actually, no, not out loud. You guys don't have to join me. I'll read it. But follow along as I read verses 27 to 30. So Acts 11, 27 to 30, and it says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So these brothers in Antioch, the church in Antioch, after hearing of the the situation that would befall the land, this famine, this great dearth that would fall upon the land, they didn't just hear that message and they didn't just hear that news and went on about their day. What did they do in verse 29? They, every man, according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren. They acted out in a practical manner. They physically sent out relief. No doubt that they, pro- they also prayed for the church in uh, Judea as well in the next coming weeks. But they also acted out physically. They had a physical act. They sent financial relief, something tangible to the struggling brethren there. The first two points that I, was, I had on this message was fixing our mentality, that, making it so that we have more grace and empathy towards others. And the second point was remembering to pray. And those first two points were preliminaries to the third. Prerequisites, you could say. Because when we pray for others, we will start to truly care for them. It's hard to consistently pray for a person day in day out for their um, struggles without caring for them you will naturally grow uh, more fond of that person because of how much time you spend talking to them with god it's hard not to have any emotional attachment to a person you pray for so when you pray for others you will start to truly care for them and you will be better at discerning different ways in which you can be a blessing to them And when we fix our mentality, and when we have compassion and empathy for others, we will more likely act upon that feeling of wanting to help. Because all the time, all of us here, we all have that feeling of wanting to help. We all have that desire to want to be a blessing to other people, right? But what separates those is sometimes we need that little push to actually act upon our our motives for wanting to help. Because that feeling, feeling is not enough. We actually have to act upon it as well. There's so many different practical ways that we can show kindness. Notes of encouragement, letters of encouragement, verbal praise or compliments, things that we actually mean. You know, we shouldn't just give praise for the sake of giving praise. You know, make it genuine. Small gifts. You don't have to be Jeff Bezos to give a meaningful gift to somebody else. You can be practically, you can be a college student and give a small gift that is meaningful to someone else. We have to understand that nobody will come up to us and say, Oh, I would love it if you wrote me a a sincere, heartfelt letter. No one's going to come up to you to say that. No one's going to come up to to you and say, Oh, it would make my month if you would give me some genuine genuine praise right now. No one's going to come up to you for that unless they really crave attention. Nobody will say those things out loud. Nor would anyone explicitly ask you to do these things for them. But I guarantee that most everyone will appreciate these small gestures. And I just wanted to end this point with a personal example. Because I experienced how powerful small acts of kindness can be. I still remember what could have been the worst day of my life. Everything in my life at that point, it seemed to be very dreary. It seemed to be depressing. I looked around at every facet of my life and it seemed like everything just caused me more sadness than anything else. I could say that at that point, I, I was being crushed by the burdens in my life. I felt crushed. I felt defeated. There was no sense of joy at all at that point. But it was the small acts of kindness that I received that day, and I still remember the date, that turned it from being the worst day of my life to the moment where I was able to start really turning things around with God's grace. Because at the path that I was headed, I was headed for a path of destruction. Though I looked maybe at that point, you guys, were, you guys still all knew me at that, at that time that I was having this, but I looked like I was fine on the outside. Like most people who are struggling inside, they look fine on the outside. But I was struggling. I was being crushed by burdens. And at that, at that pace that I was going, I would be headed to destruction very soon. But that day, I received four acts of kindness that really touched my heart and impacted me in different ways going forward. I received a stray text that I received from someone who rarely messaged me. I just got a random text out of the blue from them. And the main bulk of the text was Romans 8.28. And at that point in time, and to this day, it has become my life verse because it was given in a very needful time for me. Even though I've read that verse countless times in the past, seeing that person text that verse to me helped me realize and understand all the things that I was going through in a biblical context for the first time. The second act of kindness was when someone very special to me bought me a Tim Hortons iced coffee. Is there anything special with Tim Hortons iced coffee? Objectively not. People put them in the bottom bottom tier of coffees, really. There's nothing special about Tim Hortons iced coffee. Large. It was large as well, so it was good. I had more time to drink it. No, that coffee is quite ordinary. But the timing of that gift and the unexpected nature of that gift was what mattered. And kind of cemented to me the fact that that person, individual that was very special to me, that they cared for me. That day, I had work as well. And I was working at Hannum Supermarket at the time. And that day, my third act of kindness was when my manager basically had a conversation with me. A long conversation with myself. His name was Mr. Ahn. And to this day, I really love Mr. Ahn. And I visit him from time to time. And uh, he works at H-Mart now. So he went from Hanum, one Korean supermarket, to another Korean supermarket. (laughs) But anyway, I still talk to him. He's in um, H-Mart. But his name was Mr. Ahn. And we had an extended conversation that day. And one of the biggest burdens I was carrying is that my efforts, I always, I, I've always struggled with the feeling of inadequacy. That feeling that what, I, what I'm doing is never actually useful or anything. I've always felt inadequate or useless. And his conversation was basically focused on the fact that my efforts were not in vain. And that conversation that I had, that I had with him, it molded my current work ethic. I tried to work hard, as hard as I can because of that conversation that I had with him. And lastly, The fourth act of kindness that I did not see coming was my parents threw a surprise birthday party for me that night. The worst day, the seemingly worst day of my life was actually on my birthday. It seems like for some reason I get more depressed around that season. It should should be the opposite, right? But but I remember coming home from that day, I was closing, uh, I was nearly closing shift. And I was just going to head to bed, call it a day, even though it was my birthday. But I, go up, I go up, go going through the front door, and then boom. Lo and behold, my parents threw a surprise birthday party for me that day. I think it was after 4 Inmal night, if you remember that one. At the time, one of the biggest burdens that I had was struggling with this feeling of loneliness, desolation. Even though there were people around me, I just felt like nobody cared for me. That was, that was what the devil was whispering. Because the, the reality is often very different from what Satan is whispering through your ears. And I remember walking up and seeing the people surprising me for my birthday. And I couldn't help but immediately thank God. Because I realized at that point, all of these small acts of kindness, yes, he used people to perform them, but they were ultimately from God. He saw my present state. He saw that I was struggling with all of these. And it seemed like he coordinated each event to cater to all of my different burdens. And it was beautiful. November 18, 2017 could have been the worst day of my life. But because of the small acts of kindness that others did for me that day, it made it one to remember and treasure. Ever since then I was able to ever since I was able to experience for myself the power of small acts of kindness, I've tried my best to do the same for those others who may be needing it. Again, you don't have to be rich, talented, capable to give small gifts. Anybody can. As someone once said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. And ultimately it was God who turned my life around, using other people. These acts are not expected by us, truly, but God is the one who knowingly placed these acts on our path in order to encourage us. So let's be used of God to be a blessing to other people. I end with this quote, love and kindness are never wasted. They always make a difference. They bless the one who receives them, and they bless you, the giver. Please consider today how you can start being a burden bearer. Let's pray. Thank you for watching the message today.